Here's what's coming up on today's episode. You know, I heard in front of me a conversation that I did not want to hear or shouldn't have heard. Um, But there were two managers that were discussing the interview um, that were on the panel and didn't know that I was working late that night behind my desk. Um, And they were very loud. The door was open and I heard them chit-chatting. Long story short, they wanted to make sure that the white girl was hired um, and not me. regardless of her not being in the position that I was in, maybe not being the right fit for the job. And, you know, they just wanted to make sure that they didn't lose her. Welcome to the Crying in the Bathroom podcast with your co-host. I'm Beth Barodi. And I'm Heather McDonald. This is a podcast for women who have experienced the career highs, lows, and everything in between. So let's talk about them together. Join us while we share personal stories of our own, as well as bringing on some amazing guests to share their stories. We'll cover everything from corporate to nonprofit, parents and non-parents, promotions and job hunting, and so much more. Whether you're listening to us on your walk to the grocery store, while you're getting ready for work, or as you sit on the cold bathroom floor. Because let's face it, we've all been there. We're just happy you joined us. everyone welcome to crying in the bathroom today's episode is a bit unique we don't just have one guest but three incredible women joining us today we're speaking with sujanthi or suj as we affectionately know her neha and aiden who each bring unique perspectives to being women of color in today's workforce we're so grateful that each of these women have agreed to talk with us and share their experiences and with that i will say ladies welcome to crying in the bathroom Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So we will start this off. Um, I'm going to ask you, Suj, do you want to share your crying in the bathroom story? Oh, Lord. Right off the bat, eh? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Hard hitting questions. (laughs) Okay. So I had a more, I had one that was more like, okay, this is like a fun crying in the bathroom story. But I actually, the one that I kept coming back to was this one. So it's a bit more serious. Um, So it was post me having my first child, um, just to kind of give a little bit of background. I um, was living abroad and came back to Canada mid-pregnancy and returned to work. Um, I returned to an old job that I had before. So, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I was moving up in my career. It was more just like I was very grateful for an accommodating boss. And so I returned to work trying to figure out how I'm going to qualify for mat leave my daughter comes early, premature, and no mat leave, no work, no mat leave. So I'm off for like six months. And um, finally, at six months, I'm like, okay, she's big enough, I can leave her and I'm going to go back to work. So I'm working some crazy flex schedule. And it's like, you know, seven o'clock downtown. um, And I live in Scarborough in Toronto, in case people need references. But it's like a long commute. I get downtown and I start working before everybody else and I have to leave early. But every morning, I remember I would come in, clock in just to show that I arrived. I'm doing my time and then I'll go in the bathroom after making coffee, of course, priorities, making coffee and then going to the bathroom. And I would look in the mirror and my I would just well up in tears every day. And I would well up in tears I would, and then I would be like, okay, someone's going to come in, go in the bathroom stall. And so I would get in the stall and do my, you know, whatever. 
snap myself out of it. I would always be angry that I would cry or tear up in the morning because I would do my eyeliner and it would not <laughs> look nice for work. And I'd have to reapply and then go back. And I, I'm telling you that particular bathroom at work, I, every time I went to the bathroom and I would look at myself, I would well up because I was more just, I think, overwhelmed with just everything. It was not one particular thing. I think it was just a time in my life where that bathroom and me, I looked in that mirror and I was like, oh, this is where you're at, eh? Okay. And I mean, it obviously did not last forever, I, 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 but it did last a few months and it was a hard time. And I don't know if it was postpartum meets life circumstances, um, but I think I was just too busy and just like running on empty to really figure out what it was. But yeah, so that was my crying in the bathroom. It was more like a series of crying oh, in the bathroom. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember the last day that you went and cried in the bathroom or was it more of a gradual progression of not going in every day? Yeah, I think it might've been more gradual. Cause I think I just, once you kind of get the hang of it too, I think it's more like an acceptance in life. Like, okay, yeah, you're not kind of where you want to be, but it's not all bad. It's not all good, but it's not all bad. And I think I slowly, slowly kind of came to terms with it. So it wasn't like I was feeling I, at the beginning, I felt sorry for myself. And then I would get used to it. I wouldn't put eyeliner on in the morning. I would just be like, okay, let's get to work and then do it. Like, I, I think I just kind of got used to it, you know. I think, you know, two things to just add to your story too, is you went, you went back to work really early uh, mm -hmm. because you didn't have that mat leave. And that like, one is very, very difficult, but you also uh, still had your husband overseas. Yes. Uh, and not there for the support system for you. So it's not like you you had everything all together on the home front and it was all, you know, hunky-dory. It was like you were also had some huge stresses in your life um, leading up to you going back to work. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, definitely. It was a it's, very It's understandable, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it all, I mean, in the end, I mean, everything worked out. But yeah, it was definitely a trying time. And I think I was just trying to soldier through it. Um, and recently, a friend who's kind of going through postpartum asked me if I had been through postpartum with either of my kids. And I was like, I don't know. Like the second one, I, I definitely didn't. I mean, I was very jolly in COVID, staying at home with two kids, eating and enjoying life while everyone was working from home with their kids. I was like, guys, I'm not working. I'm happy. But the first child, I, I had to think back and be like, oh, was that postpartum? Because I definitely, I don't think I was in the moment. I think I was just kind of thinking of the next moment. Okay, what do I need to do next, next, next? That I didn't give myself the time to really process it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Um, Aiden, I know you also have kids. Is your crying in the bathroom story also related to kids? Oh my goodness. Everything is related to my kids. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was, you know, I guess my first point is when Sidge told me about this podcast, I was like, I can't believe I haven't heard of this. And, and then I thought, oh my God, I've got like a million crying in the bathroom stories. And then I, my next thought was, I have no crying in the bathroom stories because my bathroom is disgusting. Like, I don't go in my bathroom. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And then just leading to, yeah, everyone has a, you know, so-called crying in a bathroom story, I'm sure. Um, whether it be related to work, family, kids, life, just everything, right? Um, so my story 
Yeah, it involves my kids, but yeah, more. it started off with work. Um, so I'm a child protection worker. I'm a social worker. Uh, my general spiel to, my, to the families I work with is my job is to make sure kids are happy, healthy, and safe. And the way to do that is to make sure parents and caregivers um, and, you know, those supporting the kids are also happy, healthy, and safe. And so I was working with this one particular family, and um, it was a few weeks leading up to my, this particular story or event. And I, I was having conversations with my supervisor about bringing a child to a place of safety. So essentially bringing them to a foster home. Um, and that's always really hard because, you know, despite what people think, I very, and our agency very, very rarely bring kids into foster care as, as best we can. Um, and so this, you know, particular day or the day before this day, I brought this child to a place of safety. And I remember feeling like total garbage when I got home, thinking I just separated the child from, from, a, from a mother. And I went to bed angry and sad and annoyed. And I woke up and I, that morning I was supposed to bring my kids who are three and five to my parents because they were helping me um, take care of them. So this is one year into COVID and like, this is where everyone's suffering from, you know, COVID fatigue and we just want it to be done with. And so I made the mistake of checking my email before dropping off my kids. And that's a really big lesson to me. So I opened my email and I get an email from this mother saying, you know, I'm a fucking kidnapper. How can I do this? Oh. I'm a mother. Um, you know, how can you live with yourself? How can you be in this job? Yada, yada, yada. And, you know, I've heard it all before. And, you know, I tell everyone I work with or everyone who asks, like, how can you be like a child protection worker? Like, that's crazy. And I tell them like 95 to 99% of the families I work with are just wonderful people in shitty situations. So anyways, I get this email. I'm like, what the fuck? I can't believe she's saying this to me. And my three-year-old is behind me and she's like, mommy, 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 mommy. And I was, I, I lost my shit on her. I, 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 you know, I raise my voice at my kids, so I'll, you know, give them timeouts and punishment. But that morning, I turned around and I looked at her and I, I yelled, I screamed, can't you see? I'm busy. And she was silent and she just burst into tears and just walked away. And usually she's not like that. And I felt like garbage. And so I still had to bring them to my parents. So I got my shit together, got them their stuff, dropped them off with my parents, found a parking lot, turned up the music, made sure no one could hear me screaming. And I was, yeah, I just, I let out like a wonderful, huge yell in my car. And then, yeah, started crying, thinking, here I am as this mom and in this job where I feel like part of my responsibility is to, to ensure the well-being of these other kids. And here I am at home being a shit mom and yelling at my own kids for basically, I think it was like she needed help with her with a zipper. 
like just the tiniest thing. Um, yeah, and I think that moment was really, really important for me because I really needed to take a step back and think about what my priorities are and what I need to do to to practice self-care because in that moment it was just shit. So yeah, that was my story. I mean, I don't even have kids and that <laughs> hurts my heart. Um, I, I think that I probably a lot of mothers can relate to that. Um, I know yeah. we obviously have mothers on the call that can speak to it, but like, as you tell your story, it's just so clear, like you were under so much pressure and all you're doing is trying to look out for the people around you, including your own daughter. And like no mother will ever, will ever uh, blame you for snapping on the child mm -hmm. that says mummy 1200 times in a row while you're trying to figure out something on your phone. Like I have snapped at my son for much less than like what you were actually reading and kind of going through on the work and emotional front. But it's just that like repeated mummy will make anyone go insane when that happens and you just like uh you just snap so i can uh i can definitely relate on that one but you, you that's definitely an intense story um the mummy 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 is way too relatable oh. <laughs> number one and it's a broken two, record it is a broken record and aiden but you know aiden yeah. you're an incredible incredible mama and also the work that you're doing is just I mean, I don't even have words for it. So whatever decision you made, you obviously made it. You made the right decision. And then did you go listen to heavy metal in the parking lot? <laughs> what song did you turn on? What it was. I have Gangster rap. Was probably, it, honestly, it was probably 680 News. Who am I kidding? Like, it just turned on anything. Whatever was on the radio before. <laughs> yeah. You're listening to Crying in the Bathroom, because let's face it, we've all been there. Neha, do you have a story you want to share about crying in the bathroom? Yes, I have multiple stories as well, and I think back to them and I get emotional. Um, you know, when I was told I'd be, you know, sharing them tonight, I, you know, obviously have had crazy personal instances that have made me cry at work and, you know, just being overwhelmed. Um, but one story that I thought uh, would be worth sharing is my experience um, when I was working for someone and uh, my contract was ending. So I've worked in the public sector for years and years and, you know, um, I've been bouncing around um, with my contract ending every six or nine months because it's hard to score permanent positions. Um, and I remember this one area that I was working with and I had weeks and weeks, if not months of being talked down to, uh, being assigned all kinds of administrative work, um, being denied opportunities that other people were getting, other people that were in same roles and positions as me. Um, and I remember it was like nine months into my job and, you know, I was performing well, I was doing good and I had to interview to be able to keep the job. And I remember after doing that interview, I was feeling very confident. You know, I, I had always been receiving good feedback from my manager and whatnot. Unfortunately, um, my manager left, um, and was not on the panel, um, 
but she's the one that I had been reporting to for the last nine months. So the interview happened and the next day I was working late um, at my desk and, you know, I heard in front of me a conversation that I did not want to hear or I shouldn't have heard. Um, but there were two managers that were discussing the interview um, that were on the panel and didn't know that I was working late that night behind my desk. Um, and they were very loud. The door was open and I heard them chit-chatting. Long story short, they wanted to make sure that the white girl was hired um, and not me. Um, regardless of her not being in the position that I was in, maybe not being the right fit for the job. And, you know, they just wanted to make sure that they didn't lose her. Um, and that honestly crushed me to pieces. <laughs> and I was crying right there at my desk. Um, and they heard me and they, it was super awkward. They came out, I left, I went to the bathroom and I just burst even further. Um, and at that point I realized that, you know, there are situations and there are instances that are not based on that happen that are not based on anything that has to do with us. Sometimes it's just the way that things are and the way people are. So, you know, it took me a long time to pick myself up and, you know, realize that it wasn't me, like not my potential or my ability to do work that was coming in the way of me being successful in an interview, but rather, you know, other people's perspectives. Um, so I didn't get the job. Um, I, you know, tried to find other things. And luckily I did. I got a better position, a higher position that I really found rewarding. But, you know, that story really stood out to me because it was just one of those situations where, you know, as a woman of color, I felt that, you know, I was literally shit on because of who I was. So yeah, that's that's my story that I wanted to share. Did the people who interviewed you, or I guess who were on the panel that then realized you had worked late, did they ever follow up with you after they knew that you had heard their conversation? Was there any sort of, uh, I don't like an apology yeah. or, or follow up or something? For sure. So there was an apology the next day. Um, one of the managers apologized to me. And then I got a call from the director. Um, my grandma was in the hospital. I still remember, um, you know, the doctors had said she's probably not going to make it. My work was well aware of that. Um, I got a call on a Sunday night from the director to, to, to offer me a admin position while I was in a policy role for the last year, competing in a policy role. Um, she actually had the audacity to call me and offer me an administrative position. Um, and that just made me like feel worse. I can't even explain it. Um, but yeah, I denied the position. I, you know, I, I just knew that I did not want to work here no matter, you know, even if I was without, a, without work for a while. Um, luckily that wasn't the case. I ended up getting something, um, but yeah, it was just an awful, awful experience. And that sounds like a pretty bullshit apology <laughs> to get. And like one of those that I think we see and we've been seeing more often, just those static apologies for like political correctness, as opposed to actually realizing what just happened and realizing the wrong that just happened. And that, I mean, that's 
completely offensive that you got offered an admin position after that. Um, <laughs> like that's, I couldn't imagine. That's, that's insane. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, it, it was, it was such a hard situation to be in too, because I remember other people that were competing would constantly say to me, um, you're probably going to get it because of your color. And <laughs> I didn't end up getting it because of my color, you know? So it's just, it's so interesting like how people view things whether you're hiring or you're on the other side you know so <laughs> definitely a huge learning there i'm curious aiden or suj have you been through similar situations where you've been outright discriminated against in your workplace that you're comfortable sharing <laughs> Yeah, well, just mean uh, just like a short, I guess, comment. Like, Neha, thanks for sharing that. First of all, because what a shitty, shitty excuse, um, and what a shitty company, and what a loss. Um, but you know, individually, I I actually am thankful I haven't experienced it. But I also have to say, um, I don't know. I I remember when I was in high school or something, and I did a project on model minorities and I thought what the hell is that and so you know Asian Americans Asian Canadians Chinese mm -hmm. particular in particular um and I, I'm Chinese I identify as, as Chinese my family's from Malaysia but um yeah I I I usually am the face that people I don't know I guess the, I, I, I don't experience I haven't experienced what Neha has and um, I find that being being Chinese, being Asian, honestly works to my benefit. Um, and I'm, you know, social work in general is is dominated by females, but um, in terms of what, like people of color and Chinese workers in particular, I they're they're far and few between. And I think it's you know there there's more racialized workers certainly coming into our field. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a, a story like me. <laughs> Just, I don't know. I feel like I'm speechless. Like I don't know what to say, but at the same time, I'm completely not surprised. Um, yeah. By his story. I, I'm going to say, I'm glad that you don't have a story. Well, Neha, so like, I mean, I don't have it in the same capacity as Neha, but I've definitely had the whole, well, you were hired because you were brown or you're like, you know, the token brown mm -hmm. girl. Or whatever whatever from my job at american eagle in high school mm -hmm. to, you know moving forward but like similar to aiden i haven't really felt like and i mean i'm saying this because i'm uh you know born and raised in toronto um i also my dad came and schooled here in toronto like he did his phd in toronto like i feel like that automatically kind of comparing myself to other tamil people who grew up like me it put me in a different bucket so I I was brought up um I I don't know how to explain this but basically that it was a different kind of exposure so I always presented myself I think I had a complex where I was always trying to be like I'm Tamil but I'm like but I'm like cool Tamil I'm like the white girl Tamil you know which is I I'm embarrassed now to say it but I can't deny who I was when I was in, in high school. Um, so I was, I always tried like by me saying American Eagle, like I listened to the like 
the alternative music, not like hip hop in high school. Now I'm embrace it all. I'm all about Scarborough and embracing my urbanness. But early on, I was like, no, no. Even though I was dating a very thuggy Tamil guy in high school, I was like, yeah, yes, I have a Tamil element. However, I am very whitewashed to look at me. And so I, I do think I had my own version of complexities growing up. Now, I don't know why I even went on this tangent. Oh, we were talking about discrimination in the discrimination in the workforce. Yes, yeah, so I've always been used. Okay, so even politically, I mean, I haven't worked for many political people, so I'll be careful about what I say. But I have my Tamil, my identity has definitely been used to their benefit. Um, and because we're in Scarborough and Toronto, it has definitely been used. Yeah, to their benefit. I'll just leave it there, because mm. yeah. Yeah, and I would jump on that if I may. I think adding to Sajid's point, I think it's not always um, like sometimes I guess I have seen benefits as well from being a woman of color. Um, I don't know how comfortable I am with those benefits, but, you know, sometimes I've been given more exposure, taken to more prestigious events because my employer is aware that I will be the one person of color in the room that they are bringing along. So I think that um, that has been there. There has been opportunity from that lens. But again, <laughs> I've always questioned how comfortable I am with that kind of opportunity. Does it feel like tokenism when that happens? Absolutely. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I can feel it. I know when I'm taken to something and I'm taken for a reason. It's not because of my personality or my wit I, that's never even presented you know it's you more just who I am it should be <laughs> yeah. my my question to the is that tokenism and like this you know I'm sure there's lots to say about this but at least you're there does that sound silly like maybe 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 you're you're the first or you know of of hopefully many to come like well, I, I don't know if that makes sense at all. Like for for our for our agency, the agency that I work with, um, we've actually implemented a new kind of hiring policy where um, individuals who are racialized, part of the LGBTQ2S community, or individuals with disabilities, um, those individuals are encouraged to apply for for any position within our agency and. Um, that's highly, highly considered because we want to see more representation within our agency. And so on one hand, it's like, it's a kind of a double-edged sword because the individuals who are being hired, they're like, well, am I hired because of my race? Am I hired because I, I, you know, I, I use a wheelchair? But at the same time, it's like, well, the agency's heart is in the right place. Like we're trying to make a change and the change has to start somewhere. Um, I don't know. That's a question I kind of go back and forth with, um, and it's been on my mind lately. Uh, yeah, I agree. I can see what you're saying, Aiden, and I think it's like it. It, it all depends on how it's being executed. Like, are you brought there mm -hmm. and then just kind of there? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Where or are you really brought in and integrated and like you feel like you're part of the team and well respected and provided equal opportunity with cases or files or issues, yeah. or are yeah. you just kind of always given that one? all right, this is yeah. you, and that's yeah. what you identify with. Because then you're kind of pigeonholing yourself into one small little thing, and you're stuck. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I can build on that. Oh, sorry. 
Um, no, go ahead. I think I would just say, um, you know, at one point in my career, um, someone gave me advice that, you know, there are all these diversity and inclusion policies, hiring policies that are now coming into play that we've never seen before. And, you know, if you are being offered something, you wouldn't be offered it if you weren't okay to do the job. Like, obviously, when you get hired, you can, you know, you can do the job or there's confidence that you have the skill set to learn the job. Um, mm -hmm. But regardless, even if you are being hired for your color, um, if that's a factor, why would you deny an opportunity that could take you places and could, you know, you know, give you more opportunity and success? So I remember um, this person saying to me, do you think a white person would ever deny an opportunity that came your way? It came their way, sorry. So why would you deny it as a woman of color? If you're being offered it, you're being offered it and you should own it. Um, and that kind of helped me um, you know, filter out the noise when it came to people saying that you got this because of your color. Just listening to the to the three of you share like those questions and comments, um, like I've never been brought to an event that needed to show off any diversity. Like, you know, I, that's never even something that would even cross my mind that I would be the only person of my ethnicity in the room uh, or with my skin color in the room. And so, and then looking to these these hiring practices, there's a lot of companies going to preferential hiring. Um, so to, to what Neha was just saying, certainly like looking at your skill sets and uh, preferential, doing preferential hiring for a person of color um, if they meet the job qualifications. And uh, I have unfortunately seen that in, in some companies uh, where, you know, it, it really ruffles the feathers of some of the white people who think, Oh great! Well, now I'm never going to be able to get a job, and it uh, is incredibly infuriating um, to hear people say that without any sort of kind of understanding uh, for, well, for the entire system or for the opportunities that they are just naturally given that other people are not. But uh, it's it's so interesting to just be able to hear it from your perspectives and what like how how you go through those kind of lived experiences and then also kind of what you take with it. And I think, um, Suj, one of the things that you were talking about, you know, being whitewashed in high school and wanting to like show how cool you were because you had these, <laughs> you're trying to be white. Uh, I think we can all agree that white people are not all that cool. Uh, history has certainly showed us that uh, time and time again. We continue our conversation with Suj, Neha and Aiden in part two of this episode. Thanks for listening to Crying in the Bathroom. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at Crying in the Bathroom Podcast. Thanks again for joining. Thank you.